Welcome to Sunday Digest, an award-winning public affairs presentation of 99.5 WGAR. Get ready for a half hour of interesting conversation with veteran Cleveland broadcaster Ken Robinson. And now, here's Ken and Sunday Digest. Good morning and welcome to our show today. If you're looking for a summer job, don't wait until summer to fill out applications. Students are being urged to start now in what's expected to be a job seekers market. We'll find out about that today. Also, is the media making young people turn violent? We'll hear from an expert at Cleveland State University. But first, baseball. It means big bucks for Cleveland. At least so says Terry Gannon of the Cleveland Convention and Visitors Bureau. Terry, you say the Indians are pumping a lot of cash into our local economy. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the dollars that come in from Indians fans are just incredible. Um, in one baseball season, they will spend about $60 million uh, that goes right into the greater Cleveland uh, economy. When you look at the big picture, too, ever since Jacobs Field opened, um, between regular season play, Major League Baseball, World Series, and postseason play, uh, the Indians and Jacobs Field has helped generate $500 million dollars which is just absolutely incredible. Wow, that's a lot of money. (laughs) It is a lot of money. It's a lot of hot dogs. (laughs) Yeah, I tell you. Well, how is that money generated? Is it basically come from people buying, buying hot dogs? Right. These people that come into Cleveland, and they could be residents spending money at Jacobs Field, and a lot of them could be coming in from out of town. Um, The people that are local or out of town all spend the same amount of money on, on tickets, they buy merchandise, they, they buy food inside the stadium, um, and then add to that, you know, when they're outside of the stadium, they're eating in our restaurants, they might be staying in our hotels, um, and they're going to be visiting our attractions and entertainment venues, and, and the money just kind of keeps rolling over and over. It's not just come and then spend a couple bucks and leave. They, they tend to make a, a pretty good trip of it. That's a lot of money, but I never see any of that money. All that money floating around, where does it go? It doesn't go, in, go into my pocket. Well, actually, in a sense, it does. Not directly, obviously. But all the tourism dollars that come into town from visitors, from convention delegates, um, it ends up rolling over. And what that means is that the money comes in and it's spent in one place, but that money, in turn, will go to pay an employee. And that employee, in turn, will, will spend money to buy clothes for their children or will you know, buy a movie ticket. Um, so the dollars keep rolling over, you know, paying bills, buying merchandise, you know, paying for services, and it ends up, you know, resulting that it helps everybody. As far as the tax base, too, the money that is spent in taxes goes right into our infrastructure and, and helps everybody. So, in a sense, you don't see those dollars going right into your pocket, but it is benefiting everybody in greater Cleveland. If there were no baseball in Cleveland, that money wouldn't disappear. People wouldn't just stuff it under their mattresses. They'd spend it on other things. True. They, they, they would spend it on other things. They might save some money. Um, they might take it elsewhere, meaning they might take that money out of our area, uh, go somewhere else and spend a vacation or take a weekend getaway when they could be using it here. So um, you never know quite where those dollars are going to go, but I definitely say that because Jacobs Field is downtown, we're seeing a lot more money in Greater Cleveland than we would have otherwise. $60 million, $500 million. Right. Um, are we getting as much back as we're putting out, considering how much we spent uh, to mm. fuel the team and to build a stadium? Oh, absolutely. You know, some of the things that you don't really think about, too, is all of the the wonderful non-tangible benefits of having Jacobs Field and a successful Indians team are some of the things like the exposure that the city is getting um, from the media, 
Uh, this is something you really, really can't put a price tag on because every time the Indians are playing, the announcers are talking about uh, Cleveland and the wonderful renaissance. And in a sense, it's helping us do our jobs in promoting the city and, and helping to bring more people here uh, to visit and to enjoy the whole city, not just Jacobs Field, but obviously that is a big part of it. Um, so that's just you know millions and millions of dollars in basically free publicity that we're getting um, that in turn is helping bring more money into the city because people want to see the city and all the other things that it has to offer. Um, so I think just an image, just the image boost that we've gotten from it has been has been substantial. And that's worldwide uh, publicity, by the way, too. I guess right, uh-huh. absolutely. You know, this is all kind of keeping that momentum going. You know, we had the Rock and Roll, Roll Hall of Fame opening in 95. We had the Great Lakes Science Center and the Bicentennial in 96. We had the All-Star Games in 97. Um, we have a lot of things coming up, and that's because the city is becoming more and more well-known as, as a destination for, for high-profile sporting uh, activities. So we're really increasing our, our image in that arena as well. So this whole momentum just keeps going and going and going, and we have to keep making sure that we don't slow down. So that's part of our job here at the Convention and Visitors Bureau to make sure that, that we keep people interested in coming to Cleveland and spending their tourism dollars here. Well, and I guess in a way I feel better that all that money's circulating around, even though I, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't <laughs> you know, seen it. You don't know if you're going to see any of it. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it all helps. It yeah. really does. Well, thanks a lot. You are welcome. I'm so glad you called. <laughs> and that was Terry Gannon of the Cleveland Convention and Visitors Bureau. You know, when you think baseball, you think summer. And summer means a chance for students to earn money. Well, more on that coming up. You're listening to Sunday Digest on FM 99.5 WGAR. I'm Ken Robinson. Glad to have you along. Well, I'm a goner is a fuss. I'm gonna raise a holler. summer just to try and earn a dollar Every time I call my baby to try to get a date My boss says no dice, son, you gotta work late Sometimes I wonder what I'm gonna do Cause there ain't no cure for the summertime blues Sometimes looking for a job can give you the summertime blues Of course, summer means a chance for students to earn much-needed cash for the rest of the year Gene Farmer is Akron District Director for Manpower, the employment and training firm, and she says this summer it's a job seekers market. Gene, is that correct? Yes, it is. Due to the nation's low unemployment, uh, many students will find summer jobs very quickly. Manpower expects to fill about 100,000 across the nation technical office and light industrial positions. Is this one of the best summer job markets you've seen in a long time? Um, yes, it is. Uh, it's uh, very low unemployment, so it's kind of a, a buyer's market here for the students. And about 42% of Manpower's workforce annually transitions from temporary to permanent jobs. So in addition to summer jobs, they may find long-term employment. A good stepping stone. Absolutely. They gain practical work experience, and they can increase their marketability by advancing computer skills or uh, skills that they learn on the job. Northeast Ohio was the Rust Belt, and uh, it was kind of slim pickings for a lot of uh, summer job seekers, but uh, that's kind of turned around? Uh, Yes, it has. This summer, um, a lot of high school students who are interested in information technology careers um, will be able to serve as interns with companies, and uh, it's part of a new program that Manpower has called Real Skills. Real Skills. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. It's a partnership that Manpower has with CBT Systems, uh, who is a provider of training for IT. Well, that's where the uh, the hot jobs are, we hear, uh, uh, information technology. 
Uh, yes, it is. Um, there will be a lot of jobs there. Um, also, there are a lot of jobs that require computer skills, and we offer free training to all of our workers so they can learn the most popular software programs. Now, a lot of young people love computers, but do they have to be computer gurus to really get in on these jobs? Absolutely not. Manpower will be filling a lot of positions um, in uh, both the manufacturing area, uh, customer service, uh, light industrial, financial institutions. A lot of entry-level positions will be filled across the country. Well, these sound like pretty good jobs. They don't sound like the jobs that were out there when I was in uh, college. <laughs> uh, no, there's a, a lot more opportunities now for the students who are coming out of school this year. Do they have to have special skills or uh, high grade point averages? Um, not necessarily. The unemployment rate is so low that um, even if they need training on the job, um, we'll be able to provide positions that will include that for them. Now, what's your advice to uh, kids who are in school now and are th maybe looking ahead to the summer is now the time to start applying for summer jobs? Absolutely. Don't wait. Um, start to inquire about summer employment opportunities right now. Um, although quality jobs are available, they're going to be filled very quickly. So now's the time to go out, take a look at, see what's going on out there, investigate, be ahead of the game. Should they apply anywhere and everywhere? Uh, no, they should be selective. Um, a variety of the opportunities available don't guarantee that you'll get um, your ideal job, but it means you'll, you can probably be a little bit selective, and they should look at all their options so that they find a job that will provide them experience in the field of their interest. And if they get the job, I guess they should look at it just like uh, an adult would look at a job, someone who's working full-time as something to uh, build a record and a reputation on. Absolutely. What they need to remember is that um, you want to be able to use this summer, summer employer as a reference. So when you commit to taking a job for the summer, stay on board for the long term because you want to have a good reference and also get some good experience out of it. Now, they can call Manpower, you know, if they, I guess, if they want to. Right. There, there are... Um, there are uh, approximately 22 manpower offices located across um, northeastern Ohio. Um, just call any of our manpower offices and tell them that you're inquiring about summer work. If you do need training, ask about our free training. Um, and we'll be glad to get you up to date on the, the free computer training that we have. Okay, now how exactly does manpower work? Uh, are all your services free? Yes, they are. Um, there's no fee to either our customer or our temporary, um, and the training is free to anyone who's available for work for us. And then you find work for them to do after they're trained? Yes. Uh -huh. Yes, we do. Well, how do you guys make your money? Um, well, we pay the salary to the employee an hourly rate, and there's a small markup which is billed to the customer hourly. Okay. Well, it sounds like it takes a lot of the guesswork out of job hunting, though. Yes, it does. <laughs> and by coming in and going through our um, assessment tools, we're able to find out what you like to do, what you are interested in doing, and what you have the talent to do. So we can kind of make recommendations on what might be a suitable career for you to take a look at. Then you have an opportunity to go try it and see if that is a field you want to enter. Well, very good. Okay. I uh, really appreciate the interview. You're quite welcome. Thank you. Gene Farmer, District Director of Manpower's Akron Office. I'm Ken Robinson, and you're listening to Sunday Digest. 99.5 WGA.
You know, while we're on the subject of young people, is violence on TV and in the movies making our kids more violent? Are shock rockers teaching young people to hate? Dr. Richard Perloff is a communications professor at Cleveland State University and has extensively studied the effects of media violence on society. He joins us now. Dr. Perloff, do you think shock rock, for example, is it making kids more violent today? I think they can. I think they can. Uh, uh, there, is, there is some kids who can go watch those groups and have, uh, have nothing happen to them, but there are kids who have violent predispositions, who are living in fantasy worlds, who are out in the ozone psychologically, who can take these groups and fantasize about them, and they can be models for them. And unfortunately, the downside of, of these rock groups and these, these, these groups is, is that they can cause kids to go off the deep end uh, and, and worship violence as opposed to detesting it. You know, uh, following uh, this type of music and, and watching these types of videos over a long period of time, do you think they could have an adverse effect on even uh, average kids? Most kids from backgrounds where the parents are loving and the parents are in the home and are, are, are normal kids are not going to be affected adversely by video or television violence. But in American society, there are small cadres of people who are not well psychologically. And for those kids, violence on the media can, can push them in a direction we'd rather not have them be pushed. Now, there's a lot of violence in the movies. Uh, action shoot-em-ups are uh, pretty popular these days. Horror movies are popular among teenagers. What kinds of effects do you think these have on kids? The same effects as uh, music, maybe? Horror movies probably don't have as much effect uh, because they, the worst they probably do is cause kids nightmares. And, and some horror movies can be fun. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with violence on the tube in a movie that, that illustrates a good theme. The problem is, is when it's gratuitous violence and it's fantasy violence and it, and it includes people who, who are role models, who people can identify with. These, these are people who are in doing the violence that the violence is going on in people's heads. Kind of like a copycat uh, situation. Yeah, I mean, again, this is not this. People talk about violence. It's gonna, it, it's gonna cause average people to do things. No, it doesn't. It may have a few effects on everybody's head, but for most people, it doesn't do much. The problem is, is that it does have some effects. It does legitimize the violence in people who are who are tempted to go somewhere they shouldn't go. It says, oh, society says it's okay. It says this guy is really cool. Look what he's doing, and it 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 gets them going. It helps them remember violence as a way of solving a problem as opposed to thinking about it and dealing with the problem that's really going on in their minds. Do you think it kind of desensitizes uh, society in general? I think it does. I think that there's certainly research evidence. We've had over 20 to 30 years of research on violence, and there is no question that, that when kids who are tempted to see violence uh, watch and see violence that is shown in these tragedies, they don't think it's as big a deal. I think society is less concerned about violence. But I think as, an, as a society, we're still troubled by violence. Obviously, people, people's hearts go out to what happened in Denver. So as a society, we are not so desensitized we don't, for, we don't think about it. The problem is, is that kids who are from backgrounds that are difficult, kids who are tempted to do what they don't, shouldn't do, don't have enough role models for telling them how to deal appropriately with conflict and psychological stress. And these role models in, in, in the media, in movies come on, and they seem like a simple, aggressive solution to a problem, and bang, it, it, it goes somewhere that nobody thought it could go. Do you think we, the media, have done a, a bad job in policing ourselves? Yes, I do. I think, I think you've, uh, you've let yourself be taken advantage of by, by the glyphs of ratings, by trying to get... It, the next way to, 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 
to get a, 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 an attractive newscast, to have anything you can to make a higher money for, for yourselves, I think you haven't done as good a job as you, as you could. No institution in society, educational institutions could do a better job too. But there's no question that, that this, this idea of let's do what we want because we're a free society and no one's, and it, the, the, the top dollar is, is the temptation, uh, there's no question that this has, has taken us in directions that we probably shouldn't have gone. Wow, I'm kind of embarrassed. We we, <laughs> we in the media have, uh, haven't done a good job, and even in the uh, news departments. I think that that news departments that that cover crime and violence constantly. We know that crime has gone down in, in our society. We know there's less crime, and yet day after day there is there is coverage in the electronic media about crime. And in the print media, it gives the impression that we're just a violent, criminal-ridden society, and it it may provide an attractive answer to some kids. I'm not saying news doesn't cover crime. Obviously, you have to cover crime. You can't. You have. It's part of the job. I'm talking about glorifying, and I'm talking about having little logos that make it kind of cool. I'm talking about covering the sensational aspects of it rather than the tragic aspects. Uh, the news media are in a difficult position. They have to. They have a. They have a responsibility to cover the facts, but they also have sometimes have to self-censor themselves because we've got crazy, undisturbed people out there. Unfortunately. Uh, what we're learning in the last part of the 20th century is that uh, freedom in America is not what we thought it would be. We thought you could be free, you could do what you want, you could make a lot of money, you could go off and do everything. It turns out now that it has costs, and we 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 find that uh, that when 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 we let people do whatever they want, that sometimes there are there are real significant social costs for innocent people. I don't think the the question is the answer is censorship. Of course not, but some kind of way of 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 dealing with this conflict we have in society more intelligently. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Doctor, for talking with us. Really appreciate it. Very uh, enjoyed it, and I hope it helps. Dr. Richard Perloff, communications professor at Cleveland State University. He's extensively studied the effects of media violence on society. You're listening to 99.5 WGAR. You're listening to Sunday Digest with Ken Robinson. A few minutes ago, we talked about finding summer jobs for teenagers. Well, there's concern that a lot of adults aren't doing enough to find jobs for themselves. 6,000 welfare clients in Cuyahoga County will be removed from the public assistance rolls when their benefits expire this October. But county commissioners report most of these folks aren't trying to find work. On the phone with us now is Cuyahoga County Commissioner Tim McCormack. Commissioner, tell us more about this situation. The uh, bottom line concern is that uh, later this year, uh, October 1st, uh, there are approximately 6,000 families uh, who will run out of uh, what are called welfare benefits uh, unless something dramatically changes uh, in their lives in the short run. So the county has uh, a dual concern, number one, making sure that all 6,000 of those family units are working and secondly, to communicate to them that they better darned well be engaged because uh, every one of those households has children, and those children would be left uh, without uh, resources. There are a total of about 16,000 families, uh, but the, there are of the 16,000 families, 6,000 of those families will have used up all of their time. They're limited to three total years of welfare, and some of those families have been on uh, welfare for the three-year period. So unless they do something differently, 
they will run out of benefits uh, this October 1st. Now, they've known this has been coming for several years, haven't they? Should, shouldn't they be prepared? We have had law in Ohio for the last two and a half years that welfare ends this year. Uh, clearly, uh, people know and should have known. Uh, our concern is that uh, a majority of the 6,000 have yet to take the self-help steps necessary. Uh, again, the county's position is the adults may choose to neglect their responsibility. In the meantime, though, you have dependent children uh, who are in those households. We cannot afford to uh, become parents to the 18,000 children uh, who live in those households uh, and who would be without food uh, and other means of support. Any idea why these folks are ignoring their responsibilities? There are a variety of reasons, but Ken, to be honest with you, at this stage, uh, we cannot uh, spend as much time wondering why people are not taking steps. We've got to require that they do take steps. Uh, otherwise, uh, it's a disaster for them and for us, uh, but most importantly for them. So uh, we are spending these next weeks seeing to it that the Urban League and Salvation Army and Goodwill Industries uh, are putting these people actively uh, to work and to place them uh, to avoid uh, the worst outcome. Now, the economy is good. There's predictions that the uh, great economy is going to continue for several years. It, it shouldn't be too hard for folks to find a job, should it? There's no reason. Uh, there's no reason that people should not be able to improve uh, themselves and, and go to work. Uh, if they need special training, we're, we're making that available in cooperation with Tri-C and other trainers. So all of the help necessary for any person is uh, in place. Uh, they merely need to take the first self-help step. Can you tell us a little bit about these training programs uh, in detail? Well, we have uh, three major training academies uh, that have been created, uh, one of which uh, will be in health care. Uh, the second would be more computer-based uh, in terms of training people to be uh, computer literate. And uh, the third has to do with basic uh, building skills, uh, construction, uh, apprenticeships-related skills. Um, additionally, though, as I've indicated, uh, there are some time-honored social service agencies, such as vocational guidance, that if a person has particular physical or, or mental uh, needs, uh, we are fully equipped uh, to speak to their training requirements so that people can work at the level uh, that they can best achieve. So, again, regardless of shortage of skill uh, or prior job experience, uh, people should uh, be able to find a job. Do you think society may have to recognize that there's a certain percentage of folks who just aren't going to work? They're just, just not going to do it, no well, matter how good the economy is. The, uh, I understand your question about whether some people just will not go to work. And quite frankly, there are people who are saying that we ought to exempt large numbers of people under the law to say that they don't have to go to work. 
What we would do by doing that, by acknowledging that some people just will not go to work, is we really sentence them to a life of failure. Uh, and as importantly, children who live with them uh, will also be learning the lessons of failure, uh, that that family will not be able... We, we know this, that most families who leave welfare... Uh, are making more money today than if they had remained on welfare. That's almost eight out of ten families. So the reason we're pushing is because it's a no-win situation to uh, keep people uh, locked in a welfare state. Uh, we want to provide the tools necessary to, to, to move them. Are you confident you're going to be able to reach a sizable portion of these folks? We are confident and we are approaching this uh, with confidence uh, that this not only can but should be done. Um, so, yes, um, we have a sense of determination about seeing this through. Let me just indicate this. Just seven years ago, there were 48,000 families on welfare. And as, I, and, I, and as I've indicated today, the total is 16,000. So we've seen huge improvement over where we were seven years ago, and that gives us reason to believe that we can keep improving. Well, if you could speak directly to the 16,000 that remain, what would you tell them? I would tell them that there is no joy in uh, being a recipient of welfare. There is danger in relying upon that source of income. There is great joy in going to work every day, to bringing home your own paycheck, it's liberation. It's liberation from the system. Uh, you become your own person, and regardless of your level of skill, uh, help is available uh, to, to actively engage you tomorrow morning. So I would look at it in a hopeful sense. And I guess they know where to call. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, we thank you, Commissioner, for the uh, information. Quite a right, Ken. Mm -hmm. Anytime I can help. All right. And that's Cuyahoga County Commissioner Tim McCormack telling us that 6,000 welfare recipients in Cuyahoga County stand to lose their benefits when they expire this October. He's urging them to get job training and get to work. And that's today's edition of Sunday Digest. <music> If you have any questions or comments about the show, you can write Sunday Digest, WGAR, 5005 Rockside Road, Cleveland, 44131. Or you can give me a call at 216-328-9950, extension 338. Email kenrobinson at prodigy.net. Thanks for listening. See you next week right here on Sunday Digest. This has been Sunday Digest with WGAR's Ken Robinson, a public affairs presentation of 99.5 WGAR. The views and opinions expressed on the show were those of the participants and not necessarily those of WGAR, its staff and management. Join us next week for another edition of Sunday Digest. you'd like to buy simply take your card of credit and go get it 
Use your credit card to purchase the hottest, most fashionable T-shirts on the scene today. Quality premium T-shirts from Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing at plclothing.store. Based in Scottsdale, Arizona, Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing features the most distinctive T-shirts ever imagined. That's because Panoramic is a vision that moves in all directions. So use your credit card and check out the exclusive collection at plclothing.store. That's plclothing.store. A credit card is handy. Whatever you'd like to buy, simply take your card of credit.